morning church we'll be reading matthew 6 verses 5 through 15 the lord's prayer and when you pray you must not not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others truly i say to you they have received their reward but when you pray go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you and when you pray do not heap up empty phrases as the gentiles do for they think that they will be heard for their many words do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him pray then like this our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us for our debts as we also forgive in our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for if you forgive others for their trespasses your heavenly father will forgive will also forgive you forgives you but if you do not forgive others their trespasses neither will your father forgive your trespasses this is god's word you may be seated if you have your Bible, would you open that up for us? Even, I know we've asked you already, or if you have it on your phone or an app, open up that passage in Matthew chapter 6. I want you to look at the Lord's Prayer for a minute. I think sometimes we take for granted the beauty that's before us. When you see that prayer, you don't think of, you don't think of it as if you're standing in before the Grand Canyon in all of its splendor, do you? That Grand Canyon is beautiful. And here we have the Lord's Prayer. It's just as beautiful, if not more, than the Grand Canyon. When you stand up on the when I was on a trip last year, went on top of Vail Mountain and overlooked the Colorado Rockies, I thought, how majestic. And you see this Lord's Prayer, and the same things should fill our hearts. Or maybe if you look at Van Gogh's Starry Night, if you're into art and painting, and you see the masterpiece of it, this is a masterpiece that's far exceedingly more beautiful. Or to hear Mozart's Seventh Piano Concerto and how masterful it is, this is a truly priceless gift of literature that's given to us by the Lord himself. The disciples came to Jesus and they asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray. You know, I wonder why the disciples would ask that of Jesus. You know, they, they were able to watch his life and his ministry that in between the healings, in between the casting out of demons, in between the fights with the Pharisees, there was the secret place that our Savior entered into before his heavenly Father. And he prayed. And I think they saw him drawing his strength from this inward life. And so after watching Jesus' ministry, they were able to ask him, Lord, teach us how to pray. And this here is 
one of the most explicit places in all of the scriptures where our Lord Jesus Christ himself teaches us how to have communion or fellowship with God in prayer. So I think there's much for us to learn today. And I don't want this to be just a sermon that I preach through, but I want it to be one that we pray through. So you might not believe it, but I'm going to preach a shorter sermon today, right? I'm going to preach a little bit shorter. Did I get a round of applause for that? No. Um, And we're going to spend about 15 minutes at the end of this in prayer, having different people come up and pray through these petitions that are given us in the Lord's Prayer while you pray personally where you're at for God's kingdom come and his will to be done in your life, in your heart, in your loved ones, in your neighborhood, in your community, because this is not just a prayer to sit and learn from. It's a prayer to be prayed. So we're going to do that together. We're going to look at this prayer in three parts. Jesus says first in when you pray. So we're going to unpack that little statement that he makes there in the first part of verse chapter or verse five. We're going to look at how not to pray. In order to teach us how to pray, he first says, here's how you're not supposed to pray. And we're going to see that in verses uh, 5 through 8. And then we're going to finally look at, through the Lord's Prayer, how the Lord has called us to pray. And then pray through that. And so the first thing we're going to look at are these four words that Jesus says right here in the beginning. And when you pray. And when you pray. Imagine Jesus standing before those who gathered at the mount and he's teaching them and he's assuming that these are a people of prayer. He says, and when you pray, think about prayer as it relates to our world today. That every world religion has prayer as a major part of their religion. And Jesus calls out two different people here when he says not to pray. He says both the hypocrites and the Gentiles, the hypocrites being the Pharisees and the Gentiles. And so he's assuming that everyone has some kind of prayer foundation in their life. And of course, this is 2,000 years ago. But today, I wonder if we could make the same assumption. And when you pray, would Jesus be able to make that assumption of our world today? Listen, would he be able to make that assumption of our lives today and when you pray? I don't think he could. Even of our church, I think that sometimes our prayers can be absent. But listen, I don't want to preach this as a sermon to guilt you, okay? There's, I think we all often experience this low level of guilt. I think everybody in the room, if we're honest with ourselves, would say from the honesty that's in our hearts that, man, I I don't really pray the way I should, right? I don't really pray the way I should. Now, my goal is not to just take that and just beat you over the head with it. My goal in this time is to take the Lord's prayer and be captivated by the beauty of the one who's teaching us so that it brings us to our knees and we say this prayer from the depths of our soul, Lord, Lord, help me. Lord, teach me how to pray. Billy Graham, who is known as America's preacher, had a life ministry that was built upon millions of people coming to know Jesus Christ. He says the Christian life is not filled with a constant high. 
But oftentimes it's filled with highs and lows. And in the depths of his soul, he said, I need to pray, God, forgive me. God, help me. That's Billy Graham. So you got permission to plead with the Lord in those places of difficulties because the Christian life isn't just a high. It's not always on the mountain. Sometimes it's in the valley and Jesus teaches us that in that secret place, in that place where you're present with the Father in intimacy, when you pray, when you pray, may it be true of our lives, when you pray, that prayer would be second nature to us and that we would learn how to connect better with our father. I don't think it's about praying better. I don't really think it's about praying better. Like, you know, you have the acronyms that are given to us so we can pray and those are helpful. I don't dismiss those, but it's not like if you wake up in the morning and you start with pleading to God, he should, he doesn't stop you and say, you got to praise me first before I'm going to listen to your prayer. Come on. Come on, you got to praise me a little bit before I'm going to listen to that. I am disregarding that prayer. I think that God wants honesty. I think that he wants genuineness. And that's what we see here in the scriptures. In Psalms, such a good, if you want to learn how to pray, just begin to read the Psalms and plead these Psalms in your own life. David says this, Psalm 34, 17 and 18. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. Do you hear that? When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears. Now, now you might say, I'm not righteous. Well, the interesting thing about the Lord's prayer is that it, it causes us to seek not our righteousness, but Christ's. And so we cry out, to the de- out, out from the depths of our soul to the God who gives us a righteousness that currently doesn't belong to us. And so we plead from a place of not our righteousness, but Christ's, Christ's righteousness, who died for our sins, who was buried, and who rose again on that third day, conquering sin, Satan, and death for all eternity. And so we plead, we pray from the point of not our righteousness, but Christ. And here's the next verse. It says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Oh, so good. I know some brokenhearted people who walked through the doors this morning. I know them. Been praying for them. Maybe you're one I don't know. I'm praying for you, but I want you to know that it's not just my prayers that should comfort you, but it's the nearness of our Lord that comforts you in your brokenness. And he saves, listen, he saves the crushed in spirit. Can we be honest with ourselves about prayer? We are weak people in need of a powerful God. (laughs) Prayer is not about how much you have it all together. Prayer is not the words that you say and how you say them. Prayer is about you knowing in weakness that you have a powerful God whose ear is towards you and he hears you. He hears you. And that when you plead, he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Another Psalm 18, verse 6. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried out for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. And my cry to him reached his ears. 
Listen, part of the reason why we struggle with prayer, if we're honest with ourselves, is because we've prayed and God, it seems that he hasn't listened. Maybe he didn't answer that prayer. Maybe you've resigned yourself to a life that doesn't pray because you've prayed the prayer before and God doesn't hear you, at least so you think. And the other thing that we have to understand about the God of heavens is that he works in accordance with his will and not our own. And so when we pray prayers, we must understand that those prayers in light of God's will are answered in accordance with God's will. Not necessarily the way we pray them or the way we want to see them expressed, but certainly answered in such a way that God is advancing his kingdom in you and through you by the power of his Holy Spirit. So one of the greatest prayers you could pray is like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane where he says, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. If possible, Jesus prayed, take this cup from me. And he uttered these words, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. Submitting himself to the Father who knows all things. And so when we pray, we submit ourselves to the Father who's in heaven and he hears us. Soren Kierkegaard is an incredible intellectual man, philosopher. He says, the function of prayer is not to influence God, but rather to change the nature of the one who prays. It's the function of prayer. It's not about you trying to garner support for your cause or your thing, but it's saying, God, change me, mold me, shape me. Not satisfied with where I'm at in life, Lord. I need you. That's a lifelong struggle, by the way. If you've lived a, a life that's long and fruitful and prosperous, it hasn't been perfect and it's still not. And you still need God's grace. If you're a new Christian here today or you've yet to come to know Christ, even one of the most powerful prayers you could pray is, Lord, change me. Lord, make me more like you. And so Jesus, he says, here's how not to pray. That's the second part of our passage here, how not to pray. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. So we talked a little bit about the hypocrite, hypocrites last week. They were the ones who were giving alms to the poor, but yet they hired a trumpeter in order to announce the fact that they were giving alms to the poor. And Jesus says, you practice this righteousness in order to be seen by others. And he says, I tell you the truth, truly, truly pay attention. They have received their reward in full, the applause of men. Good. Well done. That's all you're going to get. Nothing from the Father because the motivation of your heart is to be seen by others. So when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who are standing in the synagogues in the street corners in order to be seen by the arena of others' approvals, but do so in your secret place. He says, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. The hypocrite believed that their righteousness was a righteousness that was ultimately given to them by the approval of others. 
It wasn't about being righteous before God. It was being a right, about righteous before everyone else. And so it was a self-righteousness instead of a God-righteousness. It was a righteousness that only mattered to the degree that other people could see it. But we know that that's a very hypocritical life, right? We know that's empty life, that you could stick your hand right through it, that it's like a cloud. It's not real. It's not there. And he says, don't be like the hypocrites. They were literally actors that were in a play putting a mask on. But go into your room because your father who knows you completely entirely. You can't hide a thing from him. He sees what you do in secret and he rewards you. We talked a little bit about the reward last week. It's that he gives you himself the greatest gift. Pharisees didn't care about God. They didn't want him. They just wanted to use him to advance their own agenda and their own purposes. But here he says, pray to your God who's in secret and he'll reward you. And then the other warning comes about not to pray like the Gentiles. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. So you have the Pharisees who are kind of the religious elite of the Jews. And then on the other side, you have the Gentiles who are kind of the religious elite of the pagans. The Gentiles are the non-Jews and they would pray to these unknown or false gods in the way that they thought that they could curry favor with their gods is that they would use many words. They valued quantity over quality <laughs> and they just talked, talked, talked vain repetition. They would say the same prayers over and over again. They thought that if they said more then God would listen. And so somehow God was entitled to listen to them because of the quantity of their words. And he says, don't be like the Gentiles. There's an old story of the God Baal and the priests of Baal. And there's this wonderful work where Elisha calls down the fire of heaven to burn the sacrifice and shows the mighty power of his God. But the priests of Baal utter these words in vain repetition and God destroys them, showing that their God is not powerful, but he's the one that's all powerful. And so we pray to one who's all powerful and we don't rely on vain repetition or speaking many words in order for our God to hear us. Sometimes a simple prayer is God help me, God save me, God forgive me, God change me, God Fill me with you. Those are simple but powerful prayers. God hears them. He wants you to know he hears them. That's why Jesus is giving us this prayer because he wants you to know I'm listening. I'm listening to you. He's present with us. Psalm 51, 15 has this honest prayer and I love it. Oh Lord, open my lips. <laughs> How many of you have had days where it's just like, God, you've got to open my lips, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You would not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. What Jesus is preaching into as we pray and how not to pray, he's preaching into the motivation of our hearts. Do you understand that before a holy and righteous God, that there's this distance, there's this chasm, 
that God is in heaven and you're on earth, that God is holy and that you are not. And so do you approach God in such a way that says that? Now, the other thing that's powerful about it, and this is how I want to transition it into teaching us how to pray, is do you also see that this God isn't a God that's just ready to put his thumb down on you and crush you, but you're praying to your Father who is in heaven. <laughs> oh, that's good. It's good. Your Father in heaven. I, I uh, as I share it almost every week since my dad passed away, and, and um, it, this prayer means something to me because I think about my father, my earthly father who is in heaven. But I don't pray to him. I know this tendency that we might have to say a word to loved ones that somehow our loved ones can help us. But it's not them who can help us. It's our heavenly father. There's something innate that really wants to find this connection with God that says, God, are you real? Are you there? And, and in some ways, like knowing the reality of my imperfect father here on earth helps me reach out to my perfect heavenly father. And so we all got daddy issues, right? We all do. We all got these issues that result in our family, in our lives, because we have imperfect fathers. Some of them, it, it, it's hard for you to think about God as your father, because you didn't have a good dad. Maybe he was an absent dad. Maybe he was an abusive dad. Maybe he's not worthy of the name father. But here we have our perfect heavenly father. Our God who is good above all. The one that we cry to is father. Yesterday we had a basketball game here at the YMCA. My son Camden uh, is in the, on the team. And... Um, the game went on. Camden was, let's just pretend it was that backboard. He's on this side of it. Ball was passed to him. He had done this a few other times, but never made it. This time it went boom, right in, made the basket. The whole crowd erupted. They all knew it. It was Camden's first basket. Natalia, who was the coach's wife from the other team, stood up and she said, go Camden! And I can't help but think that our Father in heaven, when a moment like that happens, rejoices with us. And he was off of his throne. He says, yeah, get it. And he knows it's all taking place, right? He knows it. And this is good theology, and I'll tell you why. Remember, Jesus wept when Lazarus died, even though he knew he was going to raise him up again? God is with us in those moments of celebration. He's with us, with us in those moments of weeping. He rejoices when we rejoice, and he weeps when we weep. He's present with us just as our Father. And just like I'll lay with my kids when they've had hard days at school and cry with them, our Father's alongside of this with us. He has not left you alone. He has not left you as an orphan. You are not by yourself. He is with you right now. Your father knows. He knows. And he loves you. He loves you. I can't help but think that the whole room, the whole room needs that this morning. And then we pray, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. That the name of God would be holy. That it would not be profaned. That his name would not be a byword among the nations. That in our lives, listen, in our lives, he would be seen as great and glorious. 
that in our world that we would see that there's no power that could even touch him. Like the picture that we give are given in Isaiah chapter 6 of the seraphim that are encircling the throne singing holy 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 is the Lord God of hosts he would be holy 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 in our lives in our city in our world in our families in our communities that Jesus would be seen as high and exalted and lifted up upon the throne where he is. That he would be glorious in our lives. We know he's glorious, but is he glorious in your life? Pray that it would be so. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in, as it is in heaven. We know that God is going to wipe away every tear from every eye. We know that all the injustices of this world are going to be held to an account. And we are God's people. We are God's children. We are his image bearers. And we are those whom God has chose to advance his kingdom here on earth through his church. And that we would pray that his kingdom would come here in Orlando as it is in heaven here in my family as it is in heaven, here in my life as it is in heaven. Do you hear that? Our Father, Lord in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done right now, right now. He's changing us right now, I'm telling you, friends. It is happening, your will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. You think that God doesn't care about your needs today? Of course he does. God doesn't care about your greeds today. I'll tell you that much. He doesn't come like needing a genie in the bottle, rub the lamp, he comes out and says, how can I help you? He doesn't do that. He gives you everything that you need. And when you don't have it, what do you do? You go to him. And when you go to him like a good father, he doesn't turn you away and say, no, he gives you everything that you need dependent upon him. Maybe you've struggled because you can't get ahead in life. You don't have the 10 grand in the bank account in your emergency fund. You don't have the job that gives you the comfort or security you need. You don't have the spouse that makes you feel like, that, that helps you feel like you're not alone. But all of those things, in the absence of all of those things, guess what you still have? You still have a God who meets your every need. And so give us this day our daily bread. God gives it. Go to him. Train yourself to go to him. And when you don't have, God uses that in such a way to discipline you so that you're constantly in that place of needing him and not relying upon your own strength or the provision of money or the provision of other people because they'll only fail you. They'll only leave you empty. But God's saying, come to me. Give him your daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors Debts, sin, right? You've sinned against the holy God and he's forgiven you. You also have been sinned against and you're called to forgive those who have sinned against you. But, 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 don't but. I know sin is hard. I know it's painful. Do you know that God knows that as well? He died on the cross for your sins, right? How much does it require for someone to get out of debt? 
because of the sins that they've done against you. How much? How much did it require from us of Christ? Anything? It required his life, didn't it? So that's why Jesus teaches into this a little bit. There's a story of John Wesley. He meets a man who's prideful. And on this particular day, he turns to John Wesley. And he says to him, he says, I never forgive. John Wesley, the preacher, he says, well, then I hope, sir, you never sin. (laughs) Because God does not forgive the unforgiving. You know how I know this? Because they've been forgiven. And part of the way we know that we've been forgiven is that forgiveness fills our hearts and we forgive. It's what we do. It's who he's made us to be. Doesn't mean it's not gonna be a struggle. Doesn't mean you're not gonna need to ask God for help. You're gonna need to know the fullness of the work of Jesus Christ because I'm not here to say that that's not hard. It's really hard. And for some of you, it feels like a mountain, but God's there to help you. And lead us not into temptation. God doesn't lead us into temptation. He doesn't. But God does give us the power to overcome it. That's why a Puritan named John Owen says, be killing sin or it'll be killing you. (laughs) And we would pray daily, God, lead me to a place of overcoming sin, not that I would be overtaken by it. And then finally, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. Some believe that the translation most accurately says, but deliver us from the evil one. That there is an enemy and he is evil. And without Christ, you're through because he has the power to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus says that I have come that you may have life and life to its fullest. And so that means that Jesus will not let the evil one overtake you. When September 11th happened, this whole nation realized that there was just not some kind of moral ambiguity related to evil, that evil existed. I think somehow we've forgotten today, but it's still there. And there's still, a, there's still an evil snake that's waiting to take you out but turn to your father who is in heaven to give you strength so here's what we're going to do and it's going to feel a little bit awkward i'm going to acknowledge that we're going to take this time and that minute silence you're going to be like what am i going to do if you want you could do whatever you want you could walk around here you could hold a, a, the hand of a loved one you could lay your arm upon a friend you could just sit in the silence of your chair but we're going to do is we're going to have someone come up and we're going to pray the each petition of these lord's prayer there's six petitions And we're going to pray that. And I've asked these people just to pray as God has led them for about a minute. And then at your chair, you're going to pray for about a minute. And then the next thing's going to happen again. And we're going to sing a song together. And we're going to trust that God has thoroughly united our hearts to him as his children. Okay? And so I'm going to pray and we'll start. The team that comes up will lead us through. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. God, you know how much I need you right now. You know it. There's no one else like you. You're so good. You're powerful and you're mighty. And you know how hard it is for me to live for your glory. 
I ask God that you'd help me. You know how hard it is for me to lead this church, to be a church that glorifies and honors your name, Lord. I've asked that you would be glorified in this church, in our city, in our nation, and in our world. That your name would be great and above every name. And that God, people would see it. People would see it and surrender to it. May it be so in your lives. Go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. We thank you, our heavenly Father, that you indeed give us our daily bread. We would say that we need more than just bread, and you know that. We need food and drink and clothing and shelter. This too is our daily bread and provision that you lovingly give. But our daily bread need includes the grace to live this life today with all its challenges and we need to live it not just getting by but with joyful trust in you the giver lord you know the particular daily bread that each one of us needs we seek you in the secret place of our hearts knowing and believing that you will reward us by meeting us and providing everything we need 
So Lord, today we pray that you would give us neither poverty nor riches. Feed us with the food that is needful, lest we be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or be poor and steal and thus profane the name of our God. Give us the daily bread of grace to not be anxious for tomorrow or for the next week or next year, but, but to live in trust of you today. Give us the grace, the daily bread, to live for you and for your glory and for the joyful good of your children. We all seek you, God, now in the quietness and secret places of our hearts. Meet us as you promise. We trust you and love you. perfect and complete love for loving us first and demonstrating what time what true and perfect love that casts out all fears and brings truth setting our lives free truly is your love gives us permission to love others that through your perfect love others can become free from sin judgment unforgiveness transformed for your glory in a world that advertises eye for an eye do to others as they have done to you. We pray you help us to be an example of Christ, forgiving one another as God, through the precious blood of Christ, forgave us. Bring clarity, perspective, truth, and insight to each of us, of other children of God that we have separated from due to an offense, misunderstanding, inappropriate behavior, comments, or plain judgment, due to differences or perspectives in life. Holy Spirit, bring wisdom through your word to bridge the gap, making a path for love, forgiveness, and understanding so that we may be obedient to your word, letting all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from us along with malice, being kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave us so that we may walk in the truth of your word and be forgiven of our debt as we forgive our debtors. Pray that it will be so in your life.
going to start this prayer um, off by a prayer from Spurgeon. Now, this is like old English, so press in and um, hear the words because it is rich. Lord, thou art to lead me this day. I would follow close to thy footsteps as a sheep follows its shepherd. But since I know not what is to happen to me, suffer me to ask one thing of thee. I do not pray thee to lead me away from sorrow or trouble. Do as thou wilt about that. O my Lord, but do not, I beseech thee, lead me in thy providence where I shall be tempted. For I am so feeble that may have the temptation be too strong for me. Therefore, this day make a straight path for my feet and suffer me not to be assailed by the tempter. Or if it must be, if it be better for me to be tempted, and if thou dost intend this day that I should fight with old Apollyon himself, then deliver me from evil. Oh, save me from the mischief of the temptation. Let me have the temptation, if so it must be. But oh, let it do me no hurt. Let me not stain my garments. Let me not slip nor slide. But may I stand fast at the end of the day. May this temptation, though it be not joyous but grievous, have wrought out in me the comfortable fruits of righteousness, that it may be a part of that grand method by which thou shalt ultimately deliver me from all evil and make me perfectly like thyself in glory everlasting. Father, every morning may we awake knowing our desperate and utter need for you. May our posture be that of dependence on you. Lord, may our eyes and our hearts and our minds be forever fixed on you. Every moment, every hour, may we see how desperately we need you, for we are weak. And when temptation comes our way, may we not be blindsided, but may we ask the Holy Spirit to make us strong. For when we are weak, you are strong. Restore us, Lord. Father, oh good and gracious and merciful Father, may we count it as joy when these trials come, for we know that they are for our good, but ultimately for your glory. Pray that it would be so in your life.
Christ our deliverer. You have delivered us out of the kingdom of darkness. And you have transferred us into the kingdom of light. Christ, our deliverer. Deliver us again. Continue to deliver us. Lord, your work on the cross was final and that it spoke a promise that shall never be broken. That we are forever in you justified before the Father. We have no shame, no guilt standing before your throne. That you in one moment had taken all of our sin and absolved it. All the penalty for it upon yourself. But God, we also know that fulfillment of this work ultimately is not here today, but is very near. It's a distant and sure hope that we have in you that the sin that is still in our hearts and it, it makes up our thoughts and it's with us in our secret time we will be delivered from and there will be no more with our eyes fixed upon you Christ upon that day that sure day that is to come May we turn from our sin and trust in you, our deliverer. Jesus, you told about the, the word that was sown and it was like seeds scattered on the ground and when it fell upon the dry path, it was the enemy that came and snatched it away deliver us from this enemy. Deliver us from this enemy that would steal and snatch away the good word that you planted inside of our hearts. You would deliver us from all evil that plagues not just our society, but our own hearts, our own churches, our own homes. From adultery, from lying, stealing and coveting. From seek for seeking our own and not our neighbor's best. For loving ourselves more than our brother. God deliver us from this. To your glory. Amen.